0: So, we're going to take a different track with the podcast by interviewing a winemaker. I'm here with Eric Lyman, who works at Judd's Hill, in Napa Valley, and um, he's a good friend of mine, a regular customer at the shop I work at, and he has lots of opinions about wine, which he's going to share with you, about winemaking, what he does on a daily basis, and some of the options that can be done during winery, some of the manipulations, additions, or lack thereof. Um, So before we get going, have Eric introduce himself. Like a lot of people in the wine industry, he used to be in science. So what was your background before you got into wine? Uh, My background was in the pharmaceutical
1: industry. At first, not in the science part of it, but in the process part of it. So I would work on blow-fill seal machines and technology that, uh, long story short, puts a liquid into a uh, dispenser for people with asthma. And then the later part of my career there was uh, in process development where I worked directly with the... uh, with the scientists, and we um, scaled up so the scientists would have, you know, a ten-gallon batch, and we would have to come up with the recipe and the process to um, to to scale up to commercial grade, uh, commercial size. So um, I worked a lot with uh, scientists that um, had double PhDs and all kinds of molecular knowledge and. Tried to translate uh, for them to regular people to what, from what they said,
0: and how do you think that's helped you as a winemaker?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, process. Uh, to me, I, I come from a view of winemaking that it's a process. Um, it's it's got some magic. It's got some of this and that. But in the end, uh, there is definitely a, a pattern of a process, uh, uh, a process to winemaking, and how you apply different processes to different wines um, is pretty cut and dry. And um, so so coming into this industry at the age of 40-something as an intern, I looked at it um, very much as, as a process. And I really knew uh, good ways to get raw material uh, into a final closure, be it uh, – Albuterol or Cabernet it's basically you're taking uh, raw material doing something to it and uh, putting it into a container that a consumer can use so that that was my advantage um, of of getting a little head start at a later age. Mm
0: -hmm. And what made you go into wine?
1: Uh, Funny story they uh, are I was at the same company for 18 years and uh, we got uh, bought out by an east coast company and they basically uh, uh, gave us the option of uh, moving to places like New Jersey or New Delhi, India. And uh, I wasn't uh, going to do that. So luckily we had a two-year, I was working on a, um, a trial uh, classification to get drugs to commercial. And it was going to take about two years. And they had invested a lot of money, so they, um, they, I had a two-year window. And I announced to my family, uh, at the time, I had two teenage boys uh, living at home. And I let everybody know that in two years' time, I wouldn't be in the pharmaceutical business anymore. I'd be going to going back to school and becoming an intern. So they had 24 months to get jobs or get out of the house. And um, we were going to scale back. So we paid off all our, you know... Nice to have things, bills, and we prepared for, uh, for me to be an intern, and that's how it, how it went down.
0: So, here at Judd's Hill, you have a custom crush facility. Um, so, custom crush is, kind of works in two ways either small production winemakers making their own wine on a facility and sharing the facilities, mm-hmm. or what you do is actually make wine for customers. Yes. So um, can you explain kind of how that works?
1: Sure. Uh, you know, at Hill at here, we, we uh, termed, uh, the, the family termed the, the phrase microcrush many years ago. And it's because our founder, uh, Art Ficklstein, all of a sudden found these uh, grape growers that, uh, uh, believe it or not, couldn't sell their grapes in Napa. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started saying, hey, you bring me some and I'm going to make it for you. So you can definitely uh, show people your your fruit. And um, that's how it started. And we're the only uh, custom-crush place in uh, Napa, or or, uh, anywhere I know, really, that will do down to a half a ton, which is one barrel. Uh, Most uh, other winemakers look at me and just shake their head in amazement that we do it. And we not only do it, but we do uh, most of our... Stuff here uh, at Jets Hill is single barrel, single varietal, half ton lots, and that's uh, it's a tough thing. It's a we, we've had to really get good at what we do because uh, there's really no no room for error. So what people do is if they have a you know some vines planted in their backyard and they want to step up from making wine in their garage, they bring it to us professionals, and we um, we guide them on how to elevate and create really good wine, and and I mean, we're in a world-class growing environment, Uh, we consider ourselves world-class winemakers, and um, people are often surprised with the outcome when they take it to us versus doing it in the garage, Mm -hmm. you know, because, uh, I don't know, most most homemade wines I've ever had have been uh, sweet and high (laughs) in (laughs) VA, and that's two things that we don't do here, so So, yeah, and then we do have smaller uh, commercial clients also. That don't do they, they they like what we offer here at Jets Hill. They have full access to me. Um, they have a very open um, environment here of collaboration, and uh, and they and they listen and, and it's uh, we we've really got a good good thing going right now with our client base.
0: And so some of the customers are bringing their own fruit, but are you buying fruits as well, or is it coming from the property?
1: Yes, I'd say,
0: uh, I'd say about,
1: and I might be wrong, but ballpark, 70% of our clients bring their own fruit and the rest, we source grapes for them. We have a lot of really good... Um, when I came into the industry, I realized probably the most important uh, relationship I can have is with uh, vineyard managers and vineyard owners. Um, they've got what it takes and... Um, I soon realized those are some people that I should really, really get good relationships with. So not only did the family have some long, outstanding relationships in the valley, but um, we've also continually developed outside the valley to uh, to just find really great grapes and uh, good people that have vineyards. And then when people come to us, they, they give us you know, kind of what they're looking for and we fit the right person to the right
0: vineyard. A lot of people have this image of the romance of wine that it's someone farming the land and making the wine and you're kind of working still with that basis, you still have that strong relationship with the vineyard, even yes. though it's kind of a, a third party system. Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, you know, the the romance of uh of, of winemaking often wears off pretty quick, uh, with people. Um I'll say, uh, the first time I got to have a vineyard, uh, me and my buddy were super excited. We had this half an acre, I think it was maybe a full acre of Cabernet. And uh, the deal was we had to farm it and, uh, and, um, pick it and, and everything. And I, I think within the first 30 minutes of that harvest, him and I realized, uh, it was, you know, it wasn't, uh, it was hard work. So, uh, do I, uh, uh yeah, yes, we, Definitely um, try to get to vineyards with people. Um, luckily, most mo- most of the people have now professional, you know, vineyard managers working their even small lots. Although that's getting harder and harder to find, we can recommend them, and we often do. Hey, instead of having this gardener do it, this guy will do your small lot, and uh, so that's another service we kind of we kind of do is link people with better farming because it's all about the farming in the end.
0: So that's one of the, the practicalities of of your job, working with the vineyard managers, getting the fruit in, and making sure there's a, a relationship there.
1: So. Oh yeah, it's it's my most important one. If if we so we have 150 clients, uh, that's 100 and probably 30 different vineyards. I'd say uh, for me to physically get in and walk every single one is is almost impossible. So what I have to do is I have to really really trust. Uh, my vineyard managers. and And, like I said before, that is pretty much my biggest relationship in my career has been really developing these relationships because I physically can't be in uh, the Sheriff Foothills at eleven o'clock and out uh, in the Russian River Valley at one o'clock on the same day. it's It's really hard. Uh, there are certain vineyards I always go to, uh, especially the um, the commercial clients and the commercial vineyards. And uh, now that I have a little more help at Judd's Hill uh, with two wonderful uh, an assistant winemaker and an associate winemaker, I'm actually able to go out in the vineyards more.
0: How many grape varieties do you work with, do you think? Whew.
1: Um, I've worked, here at Judd's Hill, we work with a lot more than most, most places. I think maybe Satui or the Castle, they, they have a lot. But uh, I've, I, in, in recent history, we've worked with everything from Scuppernung to, you know, the highest end, you know, Rutherford Cab. So, and everything in between. We've, uh, let's see, what did I get? La- Last year, we saw a, a, a bunch of custom crush guys bringing in stuff like uh, these German Field Blends and um, Ribiola. Jaya. Jaya, I can't <laughs> even say it. <laughs> um, so, it never ceases to amaze me what comes through the door here. Uh, recently, I really... I've had two two harvests under my belt working with um, some Sangiovese that I just think is spectacular. So, um, yeah, it's always fun here. We get to see a lot. I know some fellow winemakers that every year just see Pinot Noir and Chardonnay or just see Cabernet, Merlot. You know, so being able to see Bordeaux, Rhone, Slash, whatever, and Scuppernong is pretty fun.
0: What can you tell me about Scuppernong?
1: Yeah, it's funky. It's... Uh, they, th- those berries are so big, they're muscadine slash that they don't really, when they harvest, they kind of shake the vines into these bags because they're like a, the size of a, a decent-sized tomato grape. They taste really kind of cool as fruit, uh, but as a wine, it's definitely an acquired taste. Uh, I, my uh, mentor... Ken Vagoda described it as foxy, and if foxy is the correct thing, it's something that I don't find very appealing. But it was fun to work with. It's obviously a fun... The crew really didn't want to be around when we pressed it. <laughs> so it's definitely an acquired, uh, acquired taste.
0: So dealing with all these different grape varieties must mean there are a lot of practical issues. Each grape variety is going to be treated different or has its own concerns. So let's talk about kind of how you keep on top of all the different things that are coming in to the winery. Sure. Um starting with harvest, which must be the busiest time of year for you. How do you organize the harvest?
1: Yes, it's uh, har- harvest here is c- controlled chaos. It's um, You know, we every year I, we try to get more and more organized and, and have things work and, and all plans are great. But come harvest time, they just don't, <laughs> you know, grapes don't wait for anybody. And and it, it's um, it's a matter of, A, being organized paperwork-wise, it's important. And I dictate, I know when stuff, usually know when stuff is coming in, because I call on the picks. I generate the first work order, um, identifying everything as it comes in so there's no mix, mix-ups right off the bat is huge and having a really good team is just so important. If I didn't have a good team, a good core team, uh, we would be in trouble. Um, every year we get a you know a bonehead uh, intern in here <laughs> that makes you know me lose even more hair. But when I have my core crew on top of things, um, they they usually we we figure stuff out. And and then there's the logistical part. Is things will definitely. Yeah, it's um, it it's you, you got to roll with punches during harvest here. You know there are places, uh, there are wineries that, you know, up on the hill that have you know the most pristine pick, and they know exactly when they're picking it, and they're only picking one thing, and uh, you know they have you know catered lunches, and uh, everybody's pretty and happy, <laughs> and that's that's not here. Everybody is really. Working hard, uh, not to say that they're not working hard up there, but uh, you put all, all the different small lots, plus the fact that we do everything really by hand here, is uh, is uh, just very lucky to have a really good crew and some old good old pharmaceutical procedures and work orders in place mm-hmm. to
0: not let things get the best of us. Right. So what's usually the first grape variety to come in? Uh, Sauvignon
1: Blanc for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've... Uh, we're, we're always kind of changing what we're doing because it gets boring. Just imagine doing the same thing every year. Just, okay, pick the saw block, put it in the tank, blah, blah, blah. So every year we're tweaking it a little bit and a little bit, which we have started to pick it a little earlier and earlier. Um, and when would that be? Um, you know, it's usually our first one in the end of August sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's up in Calistoga. So now that we're actually picking it a few bricks earlier than we used to historically, it's even earlier. And it's kind of like a fun kind of like, boom, look what's here. It's, it's here. It always catches us by surprise, uh, even though we're ready. Everybody's chomping at the bit to have work. Uh, we're all shiny and ready to go. And then here comes the salt block. And, um, you know, it used to be we would just uh, pretty much de-stem it, press it, put it in a tank set it and forget it and because we have time when the sublocks come in we like to have a little fun now we do uh some um skin contact with it about 50 percent, we skin contact for at least 12 hours i think we're going to move to or towards 100 percent skin contact uh, just because i personally like the profile that that happens with it
0: so what happens with skin contact
1: we definitely Tell the difference in the aromatics, especially during fermentation. It's it's one year I kept them both separate and had a couple different guys come in and just go, holy cow. It's just more stone fruit and stuff, more just just luscious. Like, I guess that's what I can say. It's, it's, and we make a good sauvignon block here. Worked with the same vineyard now since I've been here, since 2010. So mm-hmm. it's a good one. That's definitely the first one that comes in.
0: And what's the last
1: Oh, cabernet, I have a cabernet. Mm-hmm. Is almost always the last we do. Actually, I lied. Our last one that we get in is a small uh, project we do for our um, our landlord. Basically, he does a late harvest uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Semillon uh, uh, wine, mm-hmm. dessert wine. So that's always the last one. Uh, but I don't consider that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't really consider that one so you know that's the last thing winemakers really want to do unless all they do is dessert wine is the late harvest stuff because the crew's tired the everybody's tired and it's just oh here it comes you know it's so i say uh cabernet out of my mind but in fact it's that one
0: and so you've got all these different lots and different grape varieties fermenting how do you keep them top of what each lot is doing,
1: uh, a crew, uh, a, a good crew of people. I have uh,
0: so so full time here at Jetsville, We have
1: two seller, uh, uh, straight seller uh, employees, uh, a tech, and then the seller master. Uh, our seller master has been here for I think eighteen or nineteen years, um, and he is definitely my rock out there. Um, and then I have two winemaking people under me, uh, an assistant winemaker who's just been promoted this year who started as an intern and a associate winemaker, um, who's part-time, but very much an important part of the, the machine. And they, so, so that's my permanent, that's my four core, uh, people. And then I get in two interns usually, and I've been had hit or miss with interns. I've had some really bad ones. Um, um, I've had some really good ones, and uh, that, that's how it is every year. I figure if I get two, you know, one of them should be okay. <laughs> and then I have some returning people who come, you know, either they've made, I've, I've, I've had them, you know, make their own half a ton of fruit, uh, but and they have day jobs. They're not in the industry professionally, and they come and uh, volunteer. They get paid, but they come volunteer some time. And they've been doing that with us for a few years. So at any given time, we'll have four or five, six, seven people out Mm -hmm. here. And uh, uh, because of the procedures and the way you know our 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 procedure system works uh, and work order system works, everybody pretty much knows what they need to do every day. That's the only way. Uh, Otherwise, it's just so chaotic and things get fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. That's not good.
0: So, of course. um Having a good relationship with your customers is going to be very important. Oh, yeah. Um, what happens when a customer asks you to do something that you don't really like? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, that is, uh, it's been, it's been a lot easier for me uh, than um, my associate winemaker. Uh, she's very uh, strongly opinionated and has a little more experience with me and I've had to, you know, we've had to have talks where the cu- customer's always right and if mm-hmm. they want to add you know, 20 grams per liter of sugar to make their wine palatable for them, then all, by all means do it. So it's it's been really, uh, in the past here, the wine was made by very seasoned winemakers who pretty much made all the wines the way they wanted to make it. Well, I realized halfway through my career here so far is that, you can't make wine for everybody the same way. And I really have implemented learning what the person wants first and applying that to what they do with their pick. Because nothing worse is that a person coming in with 23 brick wine saying, I want a big Napa cab, you're not getting it. Or a person that comes in with 26 bricks or 27 brick cab going, I want a lighter, you know, It's I, I hate, imposing my will in the, in the cellar. I like controlling what we get in. It, it, it gives us two steps forward to making a person happy. And then, uh, just dealing with all the, like I said, I have 150 clients. Um, dealing with all those personalities is definitely become a, a, an art form and, uh, and I'm pretty good at it now. Um, I let my uh, assistant and associate winemakers deal with the people I don't want to anymore so it's going to be king <laughs> it's
0: the place of an assistant isn't it <laughs> yeah exactly
1: um, and, and just giving them the, what they want and not being judgmental I don't care if they like sweet wine I don't care if they want you know I, I, I just want them in the end to be happy because guess what they're they do one barrel they're going home with 24 cases 288 <laughs> bottles and you better like what you have if you're going to be drinking it every other day mm-hmm. so Whatever it takes, that's our our uh, motto here, is by any means possible.
0: (laughs) And one last question. Do you have a role in selling the wine to your customers?
1: I do not, and it's liberating, (laughs) and it's really good. I mean, I have a a, a small brand myself that just started this past year, and uh, I'm out there kind of selling my own, uh, which is difficult enough. I've had to take baby steps, i doing it. Um, you know that very well. Um, so, yeah, I I don't even like giving them advice. I, I don't like giving advice on marketing and stuff. I will give them blunt answers and let them know that uh, selling wine is absolutely the hardest part of the whole thing. And to really temper their expectations, start off small and build um, and don't... Uh, you know, think you're going to be on every grocery store shelf in in the United States in your second year, Um, so I don't sell other people's wine. It's nice.
0: (laughs) So thank you. That's an interesting discussion on the custom crush, Uh, something that maybe regular consumers don't think about too much, but it's really important for small producers in trying to get their wine out there. And just thinking outside of the US, the New Zealand wine industry is basically founded on custom crush facilities, and it's still very important. So a great way of small producers getting going. So um, that's it for this episode. In the next episode, we'll look at the fermentation process and how Eric deals with that.